Hey, Betty. Glad. I appreciate those kind words and no pressure. <laughs> and I'm going to stand up. Hi, my name's Tom, and I'm a sex addict. <laughs> Today, that's okay. Matter of fact, it's more than okay. I can't think of anything that's been more beneficial to me in my life than being a sex addict. If I wasn't a sex addict, I wouldn't have had to these rooms and I'd work these steps. I wouldn't be connected to a power that's greater than me that I can rely on. It's, it's got to be the best thing that's ever happened to me. And without, excuse me, and without being an addict, I wouldn't have come to these rooms. I wouldn't have done what it takes to get this. And I resist it. Oh my gosh. Uh, Pardon the interruption. First things first, magic cookies. Yeah. Magic cookies, <laughs> pass the cookies, and I'll get them. I really, Eddie said we didn't really decide what we were going to talk about. He said maybe a topic or, you know, tell your story. We didn't know what we were going to do, and I really appreciate that, and I know what to do. But that's the way it's supposed to be. If I stood up here to tell you what I thought you need to hear, Probably wouldn't get anything out of it. I'm up here to try to turn my will and my life over to God. That's the first thing I got to do, and I'm going to do that right now. If you excuse me, Lord, take this talk and make it what you want it to be, and relieve me of the bondage of self that I don't make it about my self-centeredness and about me. And your will and your will only be done. Uh, now, in the past, I've always started my talk out talking a lot about my past, my childhood, you know, because uh, that, that was one of the first things I got into in this program that made me feel good. I had my excuses. I love my excuses. And I lived off my excuses for five years and continued out there. That's not where I need to be. That's not what I need, and that's probably not what I need to talk about. My past will come up if I tell the story of my recovery. Uh, so a little over five years ago, almost six years ago, I was sitting in a parking lot at Walmart with a policeman standing this tall and that in front of my face, daring me to run. Yeah, I wasn't saying it, but I knew what, you know, that was an intimidation type factor. Uh, I got up that morning thinking I was working a good program. I had uh, had a lot of growth in this program in five years. I started back to church at the first four years of the program. And uh, I did that because I went to an AA meeting. I've been in this fellowship, St. Don, quite a few times, and we talked a lot about God and different things and surrendering, and it never, you know, it never did feel real to me, and I never could get to it. I was blaming God for my addiction. You know, like I've been praying to him for years, you know, take this way from me, help me, help me, help me. Fix me, fix me, fix me, do for me, do for me. And uh, I wasn't getting there. And I heard him talking at a meeting in a book study, and this lady said, uh, well, I said, every day I talk to God, and I ask God about this, that, and other, and I ask him to show me where I've been selfish and self-centered and where I've been dishonest. And I said, I think, well, I need to be able to talk to God like that. You have to just talk to him like he's a friend. I said, you know what? When I create my own God, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah I've been telling me for years, the book's your own conception of God, not somebody else's. I'm not supposed to be praying to your God, I'm supposed to to my God. So I told my therapist about that. I've been a therapist this whole time, five years. I see, I think I was sitting there and I thought, well, maybe when I create my own God, I'll start praying to him, you know, talking to him. He said, well, that's a good idea, why don't you do that? I said, you can't create God. God's God, you know, he's just stupid. I can't believe the stupid things that guy told me. They all turned out true, right? You know, they were stupid at the time. <laughs> He said, what, you know, he said, well, if you could, what would he be like? I said, I don't know. The absolute power, 
absolute love, and since I'm so terrible, he'd have to be absolutely forgiving. Yeah, but I don't have anything to do with him. He said, what else? I said, well, I can't think of anything. He said, won't you work with that? I said, okay. And I, and I left. I never had to think too much about it, but I decided to go try this church, and I got in there, and this preacher started teaching about talking about a loving, kind, forgiving, powerful God. Uh, there he is. Yeah. The same God I've been hearing about my whole life. Yeah. And just all of a sudden it was different. The God of the Bible and the church was all of a sudden a little different. God changed? I don't think so. That'd be me. That'd be my perception that changed. And I liked it, boy. Two weeks later, I was getting baptized. And that felt good. Boy, I went back some more. I went, you know, when that feeling started going away and started feeling normal, I, well, I got saved. You know, first I got saved, then I got baptized. Excuse me. Of course, then the feeling starts going away, huh? You know, I stop and act out, you know. Because I always had to have that feeling. I went to church and it felt good. And what does an addict do? When something feels good. He does it again. See? So I just kept going back because it felt good. Feeling starts going away. Well, I got to do a little more. Got to do something else. Got to do it different. And I really got involved in that church. You know, get real busy. Boy, I was on a praise and worship team. I was in there on Mondays and Wednesday night service and Thursday night practice, Friday night practice. And I joined AA and I was going to AA on four or five meetings a week. And I'd go to May and Sunday morning and run to church and do Sunday school and then do church. And well, I guess you know, I bought a new truck. I put. 6,000 miles in that truck in one year. Well, one meeting to I was all over Birmingham doing the meetings and everything else and telling how people how spiritual I was. Or how wonderful this life was. And then all of a sudden I don't have that feeling. You know, the, the, the really warm you know, glow that you get sometimes at church I'd have to go like that because I wanted to feel something. Because it was about me feeling I didn't know that. It was all about the selfishness. It was all about me. So I was sitting in that parking lot. And I woke up that morning. And I was doing a third step prayer every morning, just like I tell everybody else to. Just pretty much the prayer I just started this with. And I'd get up every morning and I'd say that prayer. You know? I got up this morning. I was heading for the back door to let the dog out. Me and the dog go outside every morning. She got me trained. And on the way to the back door, I felt the cough coming up, and I started coughing. Oh, and it just kept going. Oh, I'm coming down with something. I've got to go to Walmart and get me some expector cough syrup. You know, I know how to do this. I know exactly what to do. I get that cheap stuff this time, so I was paying $12 for it, you know. I got it all figured out. And the boy said, well, maybe you shouldn't go to Walmart. And I stopped and prayed. I said, God, you protect me when I go to Walmart. See? And the thing I did wrong that morning was I started thinking before I prayed. I don't, today, I do not take the dog out until I pray. I don't care what's happening. I get up, when my feet hit the floor, I hit my knees, and ask God to direct my thinking. Don't not dare, don't go to the bathroom, because you're going to start thinking. First, ask God to direct your thinking. Then I go make my coffee, get everything set up, and then I do a, read my devotional. I pray and meditate. Sometimes a little shorter than others, but most of the time I make the time. But I've got my alarm set early so I can have time for that. That's part of my day. That's the way I live. This particular morning, like I said, I started thinking first, and so I decided I was going to Walmart. And Somebody gave me a warning. I said, well, I'll just tell God to fix it. So I went on to work. After I got off work, I went to Walmart. And when I come back out to the parking lot, two women parked next to me, and they was wearing these Martian ears. It was near, it was in October, it was near Halloween. You know, Halloween's always been a tough, tough time for me. I thought, well, I'll wait for them to come back out. I'm going to act out. I'm, I'm an exhibitionist, okay? That's my, that's where I got to before I realized I had a problem. I said, this time I won't, you know, let them see me. I'm going to think I'm doing something. I won't let them see me so then they can't, get, you know, they can't tell the police I'm doing anything. 
that I was wrong. I convinced them that I was doing something. And they told the police I was doing something. He said, you see him? She said, yes. He's right over there. <laughs> so the policeman told me, you're going to be arrested, you know. And they, we put out her, we got their statement, you're going to be arrested, you know. And, uh, oh my gosh, this is my second offense. So I've been, the first time they just reduced it to disorder conduct, slapped me on the hand, said, keep going to your meetings. Yeah, we'll suspend sentence. I'll pay fifty dollars, hundred dollars, I forgot what it was. Anyway, I left there and went to call somebody in the program to live nearby. Oh, I know what's going to happen. Oh, I'm scared to death. Oh, I don't know. You know, this is terrible. You know. I said I got to. He said you want to meet you somewhere. Yeah, meet me at the Waffle House. I hadn't had breakfast yet. So I went to the Waffle House. I'm sitting in the parking lot. And I started thinking about, man, this is terrible. You know, that first time I saw how it went the first time. You know. My plan for, you know, they can't prove I was doing anything, is not going to matter. It's going to be just like it was the first time. I'm never going to say a word. My attorney and, their, and the you know, prosecutor and the victims are going to talk to each other. They're going to talk to the judge and they're going to tell me what's going to go on. Shoot, this is going to be my second offense. I may go to, I'm going to have to do some jail time this time. And if I have to go for up to a year, man, oh, God, I'll lose my job. Yeah. Because they'll have to find out at work. And we're going, you know, if I go to jail for a year, they'll fire me for sure. And, and I'll lose my house and my truck. My family will be out on the street. Yeah. Oh, geez, this is terrible. Yeah. Oh, poor, poor me. Yeah. No thought about the victims. Yeah. It's me. I'm the victim now. All of a sudden, I'm the one that's in. Yeah. Oh, poor me. It's all about me. And then I started getting angry. You know, if it wasn't for the past. Yeah. If it wasn't those older boys when I was six years old. You know, if it wasn't for my parents' divorce. If it wasn't for this. If it wasn't for that. And that one and this one. And all of a sudden, you know, and all of a sudden stopped it. Wait a minute. Yeah. Didn't you forgive them? Didn't you let that go? As part of your program, part of your your church work? You made that decision? I, yeah, I made that decision. Sitting in the church during church service. I don't even think he's talking about forgiveness, but I started thinking about it. And, you see, now I want to forgive everybody, you know, the past. I want to let that go. And I made that decision. You know. And I did it right. I didn't know it until later. I did it right. I did it right. I didn't say it was okay. That there was an excuse for it. It wasn't that bad or it didn't affect me that bad. I said, whatever it cost me, the debt's paid. It's over. They owe me nothing anymore. It's done. But here it was coming back up again. And I remember what the big book said about it. If it comes back up again, immediately refute it. I said, wait a minute. You know, I, can't, I don't want that back. No, I, I did it. I forgave. My gosh, it's done. If it comes back up again, immediately dismiss it. Don't refute the work you've done. Don't, don't refute the forgiveness you gave. Yeah. Don't pull the books back out and say, oh, here's an old bill, you know, that I'd written off. I'm going to charge you for it now. You don't get to do that. It's over and done. I said, okay. Yeah, I don't want it back. Now what? Yeah. I've been through the pity and the anger. You know, oh God, what's going to happen now? You know, I said, well, <laughs> there's nothing left for me to do. There's nothing I can do about this. Just going to have to turn it over to God. That's what I sat there did. I said, God, you know, whatever happens, I lose the job, and the car, and the home, and the family. Okay, I just pray it be Your will. And I can't believe I was saying that. Okay, God, whatever, 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 it's okay as long as it's your will. I just want it to be your will that whatever happens. Yeah. And if I pray for that, I know that's what's going to happen. That your will will be done. Yeah. So, okay, yeah, that was it. Well, shoot. I got out and walked in the restaurant, sat down. Waitress said, you anything young, you coffee. My friend walked in a few minutes later, sat down, said, how you doing? I said, great. 
I'm not afraid. I'm not angry. It's okay. It's okay. It's going to be okay. He said, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's going to be okay. I am not afraid of what's going to happen. It's going to be okay. I'm accepting whatever's going to happen to me. I had surrendered. Five years of fighting it, and I had finally surrendered my will, which is everything I want in my life, everything I get, over to God. Who's God? Ultimate power and love. How could it go wrong? It couldn't. Well, I was going to be tested a little bit, you know. I've got there, you know, everything's fine, everything's going to be wonderful, you know. But is it? Yeah. I go to court the first time, and the lady shows up, wasn't the ladies on my side of the car. It couldn't have been the one that I said, told him, I, that's, that's the wrong one, you got to do it. He said, no, you don't want to go there. Yeah. You don't want to go there. I said, we got to fight this. we got to do this. we got to do that. And I'd go and I'd... I started reading it a book of my utmost for his finest. Now, it's secular. I guess that's the right word. But I'd advise it for anybody because it really helped me. I'd take it into court with me when I went to court. I had to go to court like three times, you know. They kept putting off the sentencing while I was still going to therapy and going, you know, anything to put it off. And I'd sit there and read it until I get back into trusting God's will. Okay, whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen. My attorney come back out and said, okay, I worked the deal for you. You're going to get 30 days. You're going to get sentenced to a year and serve 30 days. And you serve it on the weekend. Sounds like a pretty good deal. I don't want to go to jail. you got to do something about this. And fight this. He said, you know what they call people who fight something like this? I said, no, what? He said, inmate. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It was okay. So he said, when you want to start, you know, and I thought when I wanted to start. And I, I even took some vacation so I could, you know, you know, I'm going to do weekends. I'm going to do a whole week one time try to get this over with. I took a week's vacation to go spend a whole week in jail, you know. So I went with the right attitude. I changed my, you know, my attitude before I went in there. I carried my, I didn't have a, we didn't have a paper green book then. All I had was a paper big book and I carried that with me. And I talked to people in there about recovery. Because there's all drug addicts, alcoholics, all have problems. They call me pop in there. Mm-hmm. And they always say, man, I wish I had what you had. You know, you don't seem to be bothered by anything. And when I went in there and spent that straight week, 10 days, I come out of there, I call that attorney cussing him. <laughs> what are you trying to do? You're trying to work on my therapy? You're trying to be a therapist? You're trying to fix me? Give me this hard time? Jesus. You know, I thought you said I was going to get time and a half, you know, because of, of a good favor. They said, no, I couldn't get that because of the circumstances. I got served the whole time. I mean, this is terrible. Yeah. I went to my therapist. I said, look what they did to me, you know. I said, you know what? I started this. I'm the one that did the crime. I guess it's, I guess, you know, it's okay. He says, said, you're always doing that. You always take the blame back on yourself. He said, I'd be pissed off if they told me I was going to only do 20 days and I ended up doing 30. I think that's something you could be mad about. Yeah. Say, okay. I'm allowed to be mad. I'm allowed to have anger. I don't think I'm supposed to ever be angry. Yeah. No, I can be angry if I've been wrong. I can't retaliate. I can't do worse than they did, you know. I can't make it worse. That's not what it's about. I can be hurt, but I don't have to hurt somebody because I'm hurt. I can be sad, but I don't have to make everybody around me sad because I'm sad. I can have the feelings, I can have all the emotions that people have. And I can treat them like a normal person would treat them, without lashing out. Uh, without making everybody else around me suffer for it. Yeah? Without justifying acting out. 
I didn't tell you I was alcoholic too. I could drink sometimes. Want to? Yeah. I can medicate with alcohol. I drugs too. I could qualify any <laughs> any of them drug beatings. I could qualify. Well, I've done it all. See, I've justified everything I ever wanted to do. See, I knew I was different when I was born. They told me I wasn't gonna live. The nurses wasn't gonna let me go from the hospital. No, no, he's too sick. And the doctor says there's nothing we can do for him. But Mama had him. See, he's gonna die anyway. Now that is wrong. God must have had a different idea. I've run a wife self wheel. I started trying to work four step. And it's all about sex, right? If I could fix this sex thing, I'd be okay. I never had high morals, if you don't mind, you know. Uh, I had made a few rules about what I wouldn't do. I wouldn't rape anybody, and I wouldn't, uh, if I got married, I wouldn't cheat on my wife and let her know about it. Uh, <laughs> you know. But besides that, you know, I was, I was a pretty, you know, modern person. You know, I, that's what I, I had to rationalize anything I wanted to do, and I, I did that. But when I finally ran her off, She couldn't handle no more. Somebody told her of me, I guess. <laughs> I'd have told her myself, I don't know. But she was a good person. I mean, she can only handle so much. You know what? And she had this self-service trait, too. She had, you know, she cared about herself enough to get rid of me. And I congratulate her for it. <laughs> and that just set me free. Oh, free at last, free at last. Rick God Almighty, I'm free at last. I know exactly what to do with this trauma I was feeling from being divorced, and it was trauma. I can't believe that she didn't want to get rid of me. You know, how, how could she? You know, after all, I'm a nice guy. So I hit the bars. Yeah. Well, I know what to do. I'll go find me a woman, and I know exactly where to find them. Yeah. I wish I'd found AA first, but I didn't. It is a good thing about AA, they got them all grouped there together, all the sick ones. You don't have to give them alcohol and spend that half a hundred dollars to find out, you know. But I, you know, I was having fun, I thought. And four or five years later, you know, my daughter asked me if she could come live with me, and I thought, no, you can't do that. you got to take care of your mother. That's what I told her, I lied to her. No, I didn't want you around them women I was dating. Because I was dating some honey's <laughs> boy. <laughs> and I didn't want my daughter to be anything like them. I would meet them. You know, and they'd all come to the house any time, any hours of the night, you never know. Drugs everywhere. No, you can't come live with me. You gotta go take care of mama. Way my ex wife and my self centeredness. And that's my problem. It's a self centeredness. And I started working step four. I started thinking about what's well, the sex I got quitters, you know, the, the sex was a problem and then what happened to me and the resentment from that and because I could you know, I didn't want to give up my excuses. I didn't want it to be about me. But it kept sending me to this book. Now I'm gonna to refer to the A big book. because uh, I learned I got sober with we didn't have the green book then. <coughs> Maybe I'd had the green book and I studied it with my sponsor like I did the A big book I would I could be quoting it it's adequately or you know as well. But I know the big book and I teach it. And my sponsor my sponsors have a big book and a green book. They probably have a twelve by twelve. I don't tell them to get this at my most of his finest, but I do often mention it. I live with those books. That's the reason I bought them. I didn't bother to read out of them, but I I live with those books. One reason, one reason only, because I'm still working this program. This program giving me life back in the first nine steps. If I want to keep it, I've got to do the next three. And how well I do those next three steps is going to determine what kind of life I have.
what happens to me and what y'all do has nothing to do with how my life's going to go. It got nothing to do with it. Got nothing to do with it. It's only how I perceive it that matters. If I think you're out to get me, you're out to get me, no matter what you do. If you're out to get me, that's fine. Yeah. If they're out to get me, that's fine. You know what? It's how I perceive it that matters. When I give up my self-centeredness, and somebody does something wrong, and I look at them like they're a sick friend. If they had cancer, would I want to retaliate? Hmm? Yeah, if they, if they, yeah, it's, it's not about that. Usually it means they're sick too. If they're, if they got to retaliate, they got to hurt me. It's usually they're sick. It's their pain I'm seeing, not what they're doing to me. It's, it's their problem. If I let that turn me, then that becomes my problem. It's not my problem until I let it be that way. It's not what happens in this world, in this life, that matters. It's how I let it affect me. And that's what was wrong with the past. It wasn't what happened. It's the importance I put on it. It's the way I allowed it to affect me. See? And if I didn't like the way it affected me, it was usually because of my self-centeredness. I want to read to you. I'm going to read out of the book. Selfishness, Self-Centeredness, page 62 out of the big book. That, we think, is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. And sometimes they hurt us. <laughs> Invariably, we find that at some time in the past we have made decisions based on self which later placed us in a position to be hurt. That's what, 1935, this is what's happening to them. In 2005, that's what's happening to me. The self-centered is running my life. And I'm <coughs> letting it affect other people. Letting they control everything. How dare they do that to me? See, back in 2004, right before I got sober, or quit acting out and had that spiritual awakening. I'd had a bunch of spiritual awakenings. Every time I learned the truth about myself, it's just another spiritual awakening, you know. And every time I do that, I thought, well, I got it now. It's because I always want to have it. I want the answer. See? If I know enough, if I learn enough, if I get enough realizations, I will know and then I can handle everything and I can take care of it. And what happens when I can take care of it? I don't let God take care of it. And what happens is I don't let God take care of it. I screw it up. Because it becomes about me. I can't be that self-centered. I can't afford it. Because of the way I am. I'm an addict of some kind. That means I'm self self-centered, ego-driven. Our troubles we think were basically our own making. They arise out of ourselves an addict is an extreme example of self-will run right, though we usually don't think so. Of course, we don't think so. We must, okay, above everything else, we addicts must be rid of this self-centeredness. We must or it kills us. Now, that's a little drastic. Is your addiction going to kill you? Some of us it almost has already. So your addiction only has one goal, and that is to destroy you and your life. God wants you to live. God wants you to prosper. God wants you to be kind, helpful to others, and raise families. Yeah. Your addiction has only one goal. It's going to destroy you from the inside. That you're so self-centered that you destroy everything you care about. That's what it did for me. That's what this book says. Many of us had moral and physiological convictions galore. I didn't have many morals, but I had some. We could not live up to them even though we would like to. 
Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. This is how why. First of all, we had to quit playing God. Quit doing it on my own. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He was a principal. We are his agents. He is a father, and we are his children. Most, most good ideas are simple. And this concept was a keystone of a new and triumphant arch to which we passed freedom. And I make a bold statement today. Today I am free. I am not, if you noticed, a recovering sex addict. I have recovered. What? You can always be a sex addict. That's right. What I have recovered from is a hopeless state of mind and body. I have eternal hope that if I follow this program and work those last three steps on an ongoing basis, why do you say only three steps? Well, they incorporate those last three, incorporate all the others. That daily inventory in the 10th step. That's, am I staying surrendered? Am I staying admitted that I'm powerless? You know, am I acting with disregard to those concepts? That's my inventory. That's what I'm looking at every day. Am I being selfish, self-centered? Am I being dishonest? Am I being deceitful? Am I being kind? Am I being generous? See? And then the 11th step. Seek to repair meditation to improve my conscious contact with God. Why do you have to keep improving it? <laughs> well, unless it's <clears throat> continuous conscious contact with God every waking moment of every day, then it needs improvement. And there's room for improvement. And I got a lot to improve because I keep forgetting about God, you know. I want to run the, my machine at work the way I want to run it. They all do things my way. I think I'm doing things. I think I'm in control. I keep wanting to take control. So I have got to work on this conscious contact with God. It's purposeful and hard work. I can't let up on it. Not for a minute. But that's all right. You know, if I do let up on it, if I do forget, my addiction will bring me back to it. It's okay. Don't worry. You'll always get back. If God wants you, he's going to get you. Okay. You can give up freely, you know. But how do you do that? How do you just give up? It's not easy. You either have to learn from your own pain and suffering, or you come to these rooms and learn from somebody else's. See, and that's what makes these rooms so valuable. I learn from your struggles. Boy, I mean, Eddie has kept me sober so many times. Yeah. Oh, thank God I ain't like that no more. Yeah. Thank God I don't have to go through that. I'll sure be glad when he gets it, and he will too. Yeah. And just, you know, you can't control it. You can't control it. You have to, they just have to learn, you know. And I think Eddie's doing a pretty good job. Sometimes he don't call me enough. When he does, he's, you know, I'm okay. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm holding in there. I'm, I'm, yeah, you are. Tell me how you surrendered today. Tell me what you gave up today. That's what I want to hear. And that 12th step, it's all important, 12th step. That's what sponsoring somebody is. You don't have to sponsor somebody to do a 12th step. When a newcomer walks in the door, you can share with him. When you share with you, you you're doing your twelfth step. Once you're doing it honestly and with care and love, and practice these principles in all our affairs. Yes. <laughs> how many how many of you treat people out there the same way you treat people in here? Are you as honest with them as you are anybody in here? Are you as tolerant with them as you are everybody in here? Are you tolerant with them as you are yourself? And sometimes that could be good or bad. 
sometimes we don't tolerate ourselves at all. Isn't that one of those things that gets us? A triumphant art in which we pass to freedom. Today I don't have to fight my addiction. I accept my addiction. I don't. God, when I first got in here, I said, you know, you know, they got to take down all them billboards with those attractive women on them, you know, with the bear ads, and they got to take those lingerie ads off TV. We've got to do something about this terrible situation the world's in. They're driving me crazy, and they got to fix them so I don't get triggered, so I don't have these feelings. See? And what do I? And that's about them changing, not about me. It was me that had to change. When I see a beautiful woman, I look. Wow, look at that. Thank you, Lord. Now go on. I don't have to own it. I don't have to control it. You don't have to smile at me. It's just okay. Yeah. And, and then you get... We got some women in our group, a few, and we had a retreat a couple months, about a month ago. Several women came from all over the country, and they were beautiful people. Yeah. They were just beautiful people inside. They had this program. They had love and caring, honest, you know, caring, and expecting nothing in return. They came to share, and they are beautiful people. And I can see them today too. And I don't have to own them, and I don't have to control them, I don't have to be mine. I'm free. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. And I can have the addiction back because it's part of me. <laughs> well! That's, what else can I say? You know, I, I can go on and on about that. The bells are going off, hours up, and I'm free. And I hope you get free too. Thanks for me share. If you're open to this or not, if anybody has questions for you. Uh, we're always in recovery never recover. So, and the way you said it helped me to understand it a little better, I think, but I'm still not quite there yet. So maybe if you could say a few more things about that. Yeah, I, I was hoping if you had any questions about that you'd ask. And that was a controversial statement. But you do hear it in AA. I am recovered not from my addiction. I'm recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body. I'm recovered. I have hope and I have a way that I know works. I know this works. It's been working for five years. I wouldn't have believed it. Five years ago, I was sitting in my meeting saying, it's going to take a miracle for me to quit acting out. I have done everything I can think of. I mean, I've been working there for five years in therapy for five years, beating my head on the wall. I mean, what's wrong with me? Group therapy, they said, what's wrong with you? You know, we've tried everything, you know? <laughs> Are you crazy? Duh. I'm still crazy, but I don't have to act crazy anymore. I'm free from acting crazy. I've recovered from being hopeless. It won't take a miracle anymore for me to get sober because I've had a miracle. Okay, I can't refute the work that's been done, what God's done for me. In the past, I could not obsess over something because I was afraid of it. I might see something, I said, oh my God, I'm not supposed to be looking at that. I can't look at that because I'm an addict and it's going to, you know, and no, I didn't have to drink that in. It's not like, it's like the alcoholic saying a pitcher of beer. 
He doesn't have to drink it anymore. You see? He's not powers over that beer until he drinks it. I'm not powers over those images until I drink them in with my eyes. And I start obsessing over them. And when I give them the power to control me, they will. See, and that's what was happening in the past. I was fighting them, afraid of them so much that they still had the power. Now, if I drink it in, if I start down that road, yeah, it's going to end only in my death. I passed through that point of incomprehensible, pitiful demoralization. I, I was so demoralized, I was convinced I couldn't kill myself if I wanted to. I'd just screw it up. And I'm free from that. Okay. So I don't recover from the addiction. But I do recover from being hopeless about the addiction. Uh, Tom, has your bottom line or inner circle changed since you first got in the program? Or have you always had the same bottom line inner circle? Uh, they've changed, yeah. Cruising was not the bottom line when I started. And I added to my bottom lines after about four years to assistance of my therapist. And after six years, I removed it at the assistance of my sponsor. Because it was an imprecise definition to it. It couldn't, it, you know, it was, you passed the same, you know, building twice. Is that cruising? What was it? Did you do anything? No. Then you didn't break a bottom line. Put that back in your middle circle where it belongs. And save my sponsor. Jim, <laughs> make your bottom lines real actions, okay? I just told them that if I drink those images in with my eyes, you know, and, you know, use them, I'm going to act out. That's right. But I haven't crossed the bottom line yet. Which means I can still go back to recovery. I can say, wait. I can put a check on it. Call my sponsor. <laughs> you don't believe what I was looking at for half an hour. <laughs> Why don't you stop? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I want to. <laughs> stop. Okay. If you, if you make your bottom lines something you can't control, you know, something something that's uncontrollable. Let's say the images that pop up in front of them, you do something with them. Uh, I think I'll go back by there one more time, see if it's you know, still there. You know, you haven't done anything and yet you're asking for trouble. So my therapist said, you've got to stop, you know, at the beginning. My therapist said until you, my sponsor said until you do something, I don't want you going back to the beginning and restarting your sobriety date. My sobriety date is the last time I cruised. Been five years since I cruised. Okay, I can cruise today without breaking bottom line, but I haven't needed to. But at the time, he told me to change it. Was I cruised, and that's on my bottom line. It's right here, written down, and that's my sobriety date. And I live with that. That's okay. It's okay. That's the only change I made. Now you were already in the program in this first time you were busted, right? No. The first time. The first time, not the one that came out at the Walmart or Kmart, but the first time I was not in the program. <coughs> I was looking for the program, but I hadn't found it yet. I knew I was an addict, but I hadn't found the program yet. That was the question. What was it that got you? What was the crisis that, that got you into the program to begin with? Exhibitionism. You were caught? I was caught. A detective said, these women said you did this. I said, well, I don't remember that time. <laughs> that was a month ago. <laughs> yeah. He said, You sound like somebody begging for help. Let me tell you where this group meets over at the ADEC building. Of course, they had moved, and I had to go searching and searching. And I found a phone number, and I finally got a hold of SAA. And I've been looking for SAA for six or seven years. I moved from Florida to Birmingham, and I was still looking for it. I knew I needed help. 
It gets another part of my story. A very important part of my story I left out. Yeah. But the part that makes us all the same was I didn't want to do what I was doing, and I did it anyway. I'm going to stop doing that. That's not good for me. And I did it anyway. I lost the ability to decide what was good for me, one. I couldn't decide what was right or wrong. And two, if I could decide, I could not do it. I knew I was sick. I knew I was in trouble. I knew I needed help. I just didn't know where... They didn't, SAA's not in the phone book. And I wasn't, you know... I don't know if it was online yet or not, but I, you know, I just didn't know where to find it. And a detective showed me, told me how to find this. Thanks, Thanks, Wendy. told me when I started this program how much I was going to have to surrender and how often I was going to have to surrender about a never stage. Okay? It, it, it is, the surrender I had to make was total surrender. It wasn't a conditional surrender. It wasn't a ceasefire. Yeah, it wasn't a ceasefire. It wasn't a, okay, you know, you can have the cannons, let me keep the guns. It was, you know, none of that. It was total surrender. Here, everything. And you give me back what you want me to have. Now, it was a process. I surrendered in increments. I surrendered a little bit of this. I kept surrendering to the program, surrendering a little bit more, surrendered a little bit more. You know, it did. It did work in the process. It didn't have to. Okay. What I said, I didn't surrender until I was faced with, you know, I'm going to lose everything. You know, that's. But I was prepared to then. You know, I got back into church. I. You know, I was wanting to surrender. I was wanting to get to some point where I could stay sober. Yeah. So I had surrendered a lot of little things up until then, you know, some self-centeredness, some of this and some of that, you know, working the programs. And then I hit bottom again. And then I made the real, the leap, as you could say. So, and that's why a lot of people say, you know, you've got to be a real sex addict to work this program because you have got to make that surrender. You have got to make that leap, you know, at some point. Because this addiction wants to kill you. So if you don't make it, don't worry. The addiction's going to get you back there. Yeah. If you ain't lost it all, don't worry. Keep acting out. You will. Yeah. If you're not ready to take the deep leap off the bridge, you know, Keep back now. You will. Don't worry. You'll get there. Just keep working at it. Or just make a decision to surrender. You surrender by working the steps. And what I didn't do, what I did was stay in that four step trying to blame the past, trying to blame my resentments, trying to never took responsibility, never saw that in that four step what I had to come to realize in that four step was my character defects wasn't the sex, wasn't the actions. It was self-centeredness. It was me wanting what I needed. It was my character defects. I thought it was the drinking. I thought it was the drugging. I thought it was the sex. I thought it was, you know, all the terrible things I did, the lying, the cheating, and that I needed to do to take care of my addiction. And when it wasn't, it was the self-centeredness that I had to be rid of. And that's what I got to have God's help for. And that's what I got to surrender. My will. We spend so much time in the fourth step trying to figure out all these details, you know. What happened to me? Who I resent, you know. Who who stepped on my toes when I was a kid? And, you know, Mama set me on the damn toilet sideways and made me feel different. You know? <laughs> so every time something happens, I was Mama set me on the toilet sideways, you know. You know Let's go to therapy on that for six months, you know. <laughs> Just let her go, you know. No, it's me worried about me. I was worried about feeling different. Now, there was something wrong with me then. There was something in the chemically in my brain 
or you know, and my character, or maybe something happened to me. Maybe it was some of the things that happened to me, changed my way of thinking. But I'm different from normal people. That makes me susceptible to self-centeredness, to wanting what I want, to getting what I think I need. And when my core brain, my instincts tell me I need sex, then I can't. No, I can't. My intelligent brain cannot manufacture that and say, no, you don't need that, you don't need to do it, you know, and here's how you, no, well, my core, they call it the state brain, the limbic brain, yeah, and we all have trouble with that thing, that's, if you listen to the doctors, that's, that controls every addict there is, it's got the same problem with the pleasure center of his brain, you know, where his core instincts lie, telling him he needs stuff, it makes him feel like he needs something, and the minute we think we need something, it's our addiction that's got to, you know, oh, we need this, we need, you know. And the problem is that we're self-centered enough to think that we've got to have what we think we want. You know? That we deserve what we think. You know? When what we deserve is the freedom to not have to do those things. The freedom from the emotions, the freedom from the pain, the freedom from what drives us to do what we don't want to do in the first place. Surrender, <laughs> it, it comes however you can get it. So everybody's different. There's, there's no one, yeah, there's no one formula for everybody in the room that's going to fit everybody. That's how I did it. I fought it. I was so self-centered, I wanted to understand it first. <laughs> When I understand this, then I'll surrender. Well, I finally understood it was going to kill me if I didn't surrender, I guess. I finally felt so bad, I just, I gave up. I just gave up. And when I gave up, God lifted me up. When I said, I can't, God said, I can, he put his hand on me and picked me up off the, out of the gutter. But God couldn't help me until I quit trying to help myself. Until I quit trying to control the help and contain it, you know. I wanted to control how God helped me, and that wasn't, it wouldn't work. I had to turn it all over to God. Thanks. I'm, I'm, I sound like I'm in a meeting in Birmingham, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank, you. Us, huh? thank you for coming. Thank you personally for me. Um, you know, I was sitting there thinking as you were talking about that, that it doesn't have to take facing jail time to get out. You know, that it's here. It's in the books. It's in the steps. It's in this room. Every time we come in this room, we have a program that is 12 steps for a reason. It's not one step and you do it and you don't. You know, if it was that easy, hell, they'd have done it in 1800s. But, you know, I think back to the things that Tom is talking about and the, the struggles of looking and seeing something by accident and just persecuting myself over it. And the thought that would come to my mind, and, oh, dear God, how could I have thought that? What's wrong with me now? And the keeps going over and over just because you had a thought that mean you, bad thought that mean you a bad person. <coughs> <laughs> things that stick with you and how grateful that I personally am that we have this problem because I honestly don't believe with therapy alone that I ain't gonna get it. Even if it's a registered sex therapist, you need what we have here or it's not gonna work. You know, we need to see that guy across from us that's been through the pits of hell just like we have that got out. You know, so Tom thank you very, very much again. I think uh, 